this is um you know sort of sean and i uh well Fury. <laughs> this is our, our sort of way of sort of um especially in this pandemic times to kind of hang out and have a beer with friends and shoot the shit um so he and i will have here i don't think we will be um but th- this time we we sort of have like um we we sort of have a, a topic of conversation which is uh images and words um by dream theater it's their major label um debut um not the first album but their major label their first major label record and um i kind of wanted to talk about it and kind of what it meant to us and all that um yeah so um obviously i sean fury with me as always uh but we have someone new with us today and that's uh, a very close friend of ours uh sean Rohr. and he has very yes. deep ties into this whole nerd sense thing oh got yeah the theme song oh yeah got I, this theme song i do yes and we have the juice boy chronicles theme song yeah <laughs> so juice it's like boy only chronicles theme song which one is that the uh sad hulk the sad hulk theme you came up oh, with. oh that's right i totally forgot about that one <laughs> remember yeah, we got copyrighted so like we, we got yeah, like, that no you awesome. can't have that we're like all right that's the only one i pay for the rest of them you gave me for free <laughs> it's true oh my god oh Oh, man oh that's great so i'm trying to think when was the last time the three of us were like together hanging out images words was it yeah you're right i'm thinking that that? i was thinking that or was your aunt's house my aunt's house was was before that wasn't it um it's been a while at any rate yeah, yeah it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, Emerson Words was, um, it was not the first thing I heard from Dream Theater. Um, the first thing I ever heard was Six O'Clock off of Awake. That's the first song I ever heard by them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but Emerson Words is something that really, um, it had such an impact on me. I actually remember the first song I heard off of it. I remember where I heard it. It was Metropolis. And I heard it at, Mine was Wars, yeah. house. That was the first f- time you heard images and words. Was it my place? Yep. Really? That's interesting. Yep. It's it's sort of a different thing for me. The um, I was always aware of Dream Theater in sort of a much different way. Like before high school, I was very I don't know if musically sheltered is the word, but going to a Catholic school, like like music wasn't a huge thing. So mm-hmm. like uh, mu- to me, like the best. Like the pinnacle of guitar playing was Brian May and Kirk Hammett, sort of before freshman year of high school. And then after freshman year, I went to the first guitar sessions at Berkeley and people, you know, were talking a lot about Dream Theater. And I had always sort of had them in my mind categorized with bands like Cradle of Filth or Typo Negative for some reason. And I don't know why. I think it's maybe just because like, yeah, I think maybe I saw them next to like those bands, like in a Guitar World magazine mm-hmm. or something like that. So that's how I had them in my mind. But then the first song I'd ever heard from them was Aradamania. It was an instrumental tune. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, it, um, and then I just remember thinking it being plunged into a world of such deep musicianship from a place, you know, like like Metallica or like Night at the Opera by Queen that I listened to probably 500 times by then. But and then all of a sudden hearing something like Erotomania or, you know, anything off of images and words was an enormous 
leap for me. Mm-hmm. And that really like just boom, like blossomed out into like my musical discovery. The people like, you know, Paul Gilbert, Kevin Gilbert, Steve Vai, Joe Atriani. So like the introduction to dream theater in general was really kind of like my coming out into the music world and learning about new things, you know? That was sort of, that's always sort of how I've thought about them. That's a very, I never even knew that. That's a super interesting, like kind of how you say, like, especially if you thought it was in the same thing with Cradle of Filth, like that's, <laughs> dude. Yeah. It, it's just one of those things that happens when you're like 13 or 14 yeah, years no, old. You got something like, in your head and it's just, things in yeah. your mind that way. Yep. No, 100%. Yeah. How did you know? What, what about you, Fury? How did, how did you run into them? I want to say I mean, my I, first I like, song, like, like, like yeah, my first song remembering it was Metropolis, but I have a feeling it must have been something else. It probably could have been something else. But then I remember buying my first CD. It was right when um, Scenes was coming out. And I remember, and mm. I don't know if you remember this, I, it, you know how like when like you're in high school and you have like these, you, you have memories and you're not really sure. Sometimes you forget how they go. I want to say we were yeah. in Canada on the on that trip in Canada. Remember? And then we were in that music store and I was going back and forth. Do you remember that? It's very, it's very faint in my memory, but I remember going back and forth because it was either scenes or images. And I went, I'm going to go with images because it was like their first disc and I already knew Metropolis. And then I never really got into scenes until a little bit, a little bit after, which was funny. And of course I like Metropolis. Those Canadian trips for me were so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I, I think the reason I got into Metropolis was it was always very because that because back then like my big thing was like Metallica and Ozzy, right? So mm-hmm. I think Metropolis right. was like I was like, oh wow, this is this this is really really it's like they had the same vibe in a sense, and then that was definitely like a like a gateway, which that gateway opened up. Now I listen to a band called the freaking Flower Kings for crying out loud. So I know. <laughs> yeah. That rabbit hole goes really deep, man. And it's such a, like, if you're, if you're open to it, then it's, it's like such a rewarding rabbit hole to go down into, you know? Um, But you have to be open to it. That's the, that's the other thing. You can't have too many musical scruples. You can't think that things are, you can't like try to big league things in terms of coolness. You have to just sort of like get into it, let it happen. Like listen to melodies, really just sort of get into things and not like trying to, I don't know. It's sort of, it's a weird thing. Um, it's it's not snobbery because there's plenty of snobbery in the prog community, but it's you have to just be willing to kind of get that and let yourself into it and not feel, you know, not feel like a total geek or something. I, I'm not really sure how to describe it, but there are a lot of people I could not get into this music for sure, you know. Oh no, hundred percent. And I think that was a big thing when when I finally listened mm-hmm. to all of images like fully, like I I loved surrounded like the second I oh, listened yeah. to it. And oh, like yeah. for me to like a song like that back then, like the Metallica kid, the new metal kid, the corn kid, and yeah. then like even loving another day with that like saxophone, like the jazzy saxophone, like it's 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 definitely yeah. that thing like 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 you said, yeah. Sean. It's like you have to be able to be able to like go down that path and just don't give any fucks. <laughs> well, and, and, things, and I loved it. Right. One of the things just, I was going to the open. One of the things I was going to bring up is, uh, you know, because based on what you guys have said, like, like Sean, you said you thought like uh, Dream Theater was in the realm of like Cradle of Filth or Hypo Negative, which really are very different things too, which is kind of fun. But yeah. 
Once we get to the um, train of thought episode of this podcast, maybe we'll thanks. get closer to that. <laughs> Go on, but, Mike. Um, when I heard of the name Dream Theater, I remember seeing them in like guitar rags and stuff. I remember thinking they would be like like Enya or something, you know, like ethereal <laughs> kind of, you know. Well, if you look at them, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. then the, then the first song I heard was um, Six O'clock, and it was like heavy. I was like, "What the yeah. fuck?" You know, it it was. I was like, "Wow, I'm into this." But like, if you think, yeah. especially to get into like um especially to, go to images and words like six o'clock is a pretty standard pop rock heavy song compared to compared to what they would they were typically doing even on awake or before um, was it a single was six o'clock a single i don't know I, but i think it's not yeah no but it, it is a verse chorus verse chorus solo kind, you know what i mean it, it is a traditionally structured song so mm-hmm. um even though it's intricate and crazy and all that shit it, it it's I, it's pretty easy to digest for dream theater material so it's a really good introduction to like if you want to get into like that kind of vocalist and and uh sort of super intricate stuff because it starts off with that cool um that's cool keyboard line and obviously john petrucci shreds like a madman so like um, my first thing with them was a, a pretty standard heavy song, you know. Um, and when I first heard Metropolis, was that Sean's, and it was only uh, sorry, Roar, it, it was only because he was showing me the bass solo part and the dent, 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 dent. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Oh, yeah. And then, and then it was sort of all opened up, and I, I was just blown away. I was blown away by everything, you know. You know, it's funny, you mentioned the verse, chorus, verse, chorus thing. And I think a big part of what allowed those guys to break through was not only the fact that they had really strong verse, chorus, like pop sensibilities, but also their sense of melody was just really, or is just really deep. And they they understand hooks, you know, they understand oh, yeah. how to write a good pop song. And it's one thing to be able to play your instrument really well. It's one thing to be able to shred. And it's one thing to get five guys together who can shred incredibly, but there's a certain intangible that comes with being able to write a really good hook that, that they understood and have understood, like even all the way back to when Dream and Day Unite, like they all, all up through that, there's always gonna be something in a song that you'll first latch onto, I like that, and then it's gonna sort of And um, I think that that's kind of why they've stayed as long as they have, because they have that really, that deep down ingrained sense of hook, you know? Yeah. I think that totally makes sense because especially for me, when I think of the bands that I've got into from dream theater, like I mentioned before, I made the joke about flower Kings, but it's like Spock's beard. It's, it's not bands that are very similar mm-hmm. to dream theater. Like all the bands that are more similar in the more prog, I guess, metal, you know, more rockier side, like symphony X and whatnot. I like them, but I've never fully gotten into them. And I've always just either gravitated mm-hmm. towards dream theater or the more, you know, the more Genesis side of the proggy, the more gentle giant side of the progeny was with Spocks and, and Flower Kings and Pain of Salvation. Like it's never right. that part about the melodies. I think that's probably what really kind of keeps me going there. Like Symphony X, yeah, they're, I, I like them. Um, what was um, Enchant or whatever. They're good, but they don't have, they don't have like yeah. the hooks that kind of pun intended kind of hook you in. You know what I mean? Well, you know, it's funny. Yeah, is, for is, sure, man. I mean, and that's, God. Oh, no, I was going to say is one of the things I, I was way into, especially like we're, we're, today was the first time I listened to Images Words from front to back in kind of a while. And, and I was 
not blown away because I know the songs. It's nothing weird. But like uh, one of the things that was sort of hitting me in that I didn't maybe um, think about when I was 14 or 15 when I first heard it was like even all the really intricate, crazy stuff all has like a musical purpose. It's not just a solo to fit in the place. It's, it is like a composition within a composition. And even the really technical shit is very hooky. Like all those solos, like even if you can't whistle them because they're, you know, ridiculous, like you remember them, like you know the parts. They, they don't yeah. feel like superfluous wankery. Like, and I'm not going to shit on Dream Theater, but like sometimes they would do later, uh, especially on the earlier stuff. It really, everything was almost like, was, um, was put together like classical pieces. They're all like, like, like these little pocket sections of awesomeness connected to other bits. Like everything w is memorable, you know, yeah. and everything. Like, and if you want to, like, like, like I, I usually think of like, like Metropolis being the quintessential dream theater song. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but that whole middle section is like, is sort of like an instrumental version of that bonkers bit in the middle of a Bohemian Rhapsody. You know what I mean? It's just like section yeah. after section of bonkers nonsense that's all awesome. It sounds one bit sounds like Mega Man. Yeah. One bit sounds it all just sounds like this crazy shit. And it's it's all necessary. You always you want to hear one, then the other, and it all connects. Like when it's when it's about to get up to the solo, you, you can feel it coming. And then then um like all those bits that part needs to happen. And it's all hooky, even though it's intricate guitar stuff, intricate intricate bass yeah. stuff. It it's it all needs to be there. It's really just fun to listen to. And you know what? There's a couple of things going on with that too. Like you have to, they were so young when they were writing that material. They were like 23, 24 when they were, there was like this little period of time between like 89 and 91 when they were getting ready to record that, where they wrote that entire album. They wrote Change of Seasons. They wrote a lot, some of the stuff that would become Awake um some of the stuff that would ultimately end up becoming scenes from a memory like that one the that period of time it was so fertile for those guys and like just the the, the number of incredible technical hooks that came out of them during that period was unbelievable oh, yeah i didn't realize that they were writing well i guess it makes sense that, that they had some of awake written and definitely scenes like i guess if you're going to talk about um like because metropolis but then change the seasons makes sense too because like because change the season was already written they were playing that live way before that ep yeah. came well, out. dude I, I, images and words was initially supposed to be a double uh, disc where they were going to do change of seasons as well that oh really that, how that was know. supposed to be yeah yeah, they had oh, that dude. entire thing written. Did they just not finish it, and that's why? Or, or the record company was like, slow your roll. You're a prog I don't think the record company band. was into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that, because they wanted, you know, I mean, like any record company would. They don't, you know, they would see something that's a 20-some-odd-minute piece. You know, and uh, the other thing, too, is like around that time, you sort of have to think about it contextually. Like the stuff that was going on was very sort of punk influence. Like Nirvana was yeah. big. Alice in Chains was starting to break through. So... You know, Dream Theater kind of came together and started gaining popularity in this time where technical music really wasn't in fashion at all. That's the other kind of weird thing about them. Yep. I can't imagine being back then, like being a Dream Theater fan 
then and like getting to be able to go to those concerts like in small places and like <laughs> well you know if you think about and you, you think know, about the beautiful thing about no go ahead Sean. go ahead that's the beautiful thing about th that's the beautiful thing about things like youtube nowadays you know not only there's some really good homework for anybody who's a fan of you know early dream theater or any dream theater um you can find all these shows that they were playing around that time you can find legs of that entire mm -hmm. tour you can find some of my favorite things on the planet, man, are these um, tracks that people will post where it's just the keyboards from this song. So they have, there is just the keyboards of Metropolis on YouTube. There are, <laughs> How did they get you know, those? Just, it's just, it's nerds like me, but they happen to work for Atco or something like that, you know? So they're like, <laughs> I'm going to post the thing, you know? That, and that's kind of what it is. And it, it, it's real. It's, you know, you listen to it, it's like, they're just the guitars from a tune like Metropolis is posted and they don't get taken down so i don't think it is 100 legit but i don't think it bums anybody out like majorly you know yeah. enough for them to like really go after it um but you know then there are channels like rick beato and all those who will take things like that and listen to it one by one you know it's like oh listen to, this is what makes this song incredible i'm gonna you know listen to these guitars listen to this, this look at what this is doing and um you can find all that stuff out there i mean some of my Kevin Moore appreciation has come from listening to stuff like this, where it's like the atmosphere that he added to that band was just, uh, it was invaluable. You know, that was it. You, that's really what I think about when I think about Images and Words and Awake, um, the two albums that he was um, most prominently sort of featured on from them. Um, is that just the atmosphere that he added was unbelievable. And when you hear these things in isolation, you get to understand like, uh, 100%, you know, sort of like where it's coming from. Um, I, I definitely sort of uh, wonder what happened if he would have stayed in that band. Kevin Moore, I still, to this day, Chroma Keys, something, some, the, the band that I listen to very often, all the time, just because it's like if I need something to go to sleep to, if I want to something to hang out to, chill to, like Colorblind, the album is just. You, and and you go now are the two like go tos for just like that type of atmospheric stuff. Like it's it 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 is fantastic. Like and like you could always see like if you ever listen to his original demo of, of Space Divest, you could tell exactly what he wanted to do and where he was going. Yeah. And uh, no, it would it would be really it, you're right. It would be really interesting to see what would happen if like he just stayed in the band and Derek and Jordan never actually came aboard. Because it's not that they didn't add anything. I mean, obviously, Derek and no, of course. Jordan are, you know, but just Kevin, it, it was really his, I mean, he was a technically a great player. Like, he could really rip it up, and he could write. Like, you listen to something like, what's the ballad on Images and Words? Uh, Wait for Sleep. You listen to that. That's, like, almost a classical level com composition. That's a beautiful composition, you know? So he added that, and just his, like, sense of space was unbelievable. And he really, that was really... You know the, the major thing that he brought to the table, as far as I'm concerned. I know that we've talked about that, Mikey. Like how much we love his atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Moore is to me um, the quintessential dream theater keyboard player. I know Rudis is like a technical wizard and everything like that, but like even yeah. though even though Images and Words like maybe isn't my favorite dream theater record, it is the it is the record I think about when I think of dream theater. It is like the sound. It is the dream theater sound to me. And Kevin Moore was, you know, maybe, yeah. honestly, maybe the most important part of like the sound itself, because like, um, 
you know the guitars and the bass the drums all one thing but the 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 um the majesty of it the the atmospheric <laughs> the, the beauty of it comes from kevin moore's i i didn't mean for the pun to be there but like oh, you did <laughs> I, I did i mean i didn't but it, it makes sense but the thing is with like he was such an important part of that sound that mm-hmm. um that they never had again it would no, for better for worse it's not that they needed it. Obviously, they didn't. But like, it's so great. His his atmospherics are like it's unreal. It makes that stuff so distinctive. Hundred percent. It's what makes that stuff so distinctive. Like you know, Awake has that beautiful string patch that he uses. I'm sure some keyboardists might think it is is a lame string patch, but it is what it is. It's it, it defines that record and. You know, there are certain sounds on uh, some of the Roland, I think it was Roland keyboards that he was using for images that are just so, like, so iconic for that, you know? And I think that, like, when you look at the, you know, those two albums, Images and Awake, specifically as part of Dream Theater's history, you have to just really understand that, you know, a big part of what makes those albums so incredible is Kevin Moore's contributions to them. And there's a reason. I mean, I don't I don't jump on the bandwagons, you know, of anything after Awake sucks or anything after Images and Words sucks. There are certain bandwagons out there like that, you know, that, you know, those are the only two good albums. End Scenes is pretty good too. Um, but I think it's just good to be understood, you know, that that's really sort of uh, his contributions that was major in that regard. He was on One Dream and Day and Night too, so right? Yeah, I'm not forgetting that. Okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I know it's weird. Like it's funny. Like how how much did you get into that album, Fury? I I when it comes down to Charlie's version, not as much as not not that much. Um, the other day I was just kind of I I told um I'm not going to say her name to shuffle my my music on Amazon Music. And the boot, the not the bootleg, the uh, when when dream and day unite, uh, when De- when dream and day reunite came on, with when James sang the entire album, yeah. and then Charlie came out and did to live forever in Metropolis, and those two songs came on, and I was like, I need to go back and and, and revisit it because because that that album has a lot of great tracks, like like the fuse and getaway is a little cheesy, but it's fun. Um, What's the other? What's the? I'm trying to now. I'm now drawing a blank though. Afterlife is is a, is is a great one. Uh, and and Charlie's vocals. I like Charlie's vocals. Uh, don't get me wrong, but like I I kind of do like the when 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 James does certain parts too. And then um, what was the one? Um, Fortune the Sun. Fortune. Oh yeah, duh. Of course, Fortune. Fortune Alive. Yep. Fortune Alive. Yeah, yeah. That's like the best track on that album. You say jam. Well, that's yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. Okay. Okay. There's a lot. Maybe we should have started <laughs> with this weird. album. Yeah. It, it, it's it, weird. It, it, though, it's right? forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. It is like it, it's kind of one of those things that I, you know, it's probably because it's not, you know, probably because it's not James. You know, I mean, but it, it's so strange. Like I, 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 there, I can't think of any right now, but there are certain bands that like really came into their own on their second albums, almost to the point where that's mm-hmm. what they're remembered for, and that's really what Dream Theater is. You know, as soon as James entered the picture. It was like boom, off like a you know, off like a loaded gun. That was when they really like hit the races. And that I think that's another thing we have to acknowledge is that James's contributions um, in those early days were just unbelievable, man. That was when I was re-listening to this. 
for, you know, just to get ready for this whole thing. That was, I was like, man, James was an absolute monster back in the early nineties, you know, like his stuff with Winter Rose, um, you know, oh, Winter Rose. Some of the I stuff forgot about Dream that. Theater, that was so then, good. Yeah, man. You forget like that he, there, there's a, a little point, like a little three, maybe two or three year period in there where I don't know if there were too many tenors in rock that were better than James Labrie. No, they they weren't. No. Like if you listen to, if you listen to Awake, I mean, he is on another level on that album. Like completely. Um, just even like the the first, like three of the first three tracks, he is blowing everything away from and covering a lot of ground because like for the first the first song six o'clock it's it's like it's a pretty standard but he's belting uh the second track is um uh caught in a web and yeah awesome and the third track he has is, that beautiful um, that mustaine style growl like that dave mustaine yep. style kind of growl yeah. to his voice is like oh man so good yep and, and then and then if you go to um uh, innocent stated that middle section of Innocent Faded, where he's like, I don't know what he, I think he goes up to a, maybe a high D. An F sharp. I think, I think it's an F, it's an F sharp. And I remember I mean, having a knockdown, I remember having a knockdown drag out argument with somebody at Berkeley over whether or not that was his head voice. It, it, it was really like, I don't know if you were there for it, for it, Mikey, but it seems like something you would have been there for. You just would have seen me getting red, like, like trying to like, tell this and I, you know of course i was like 19 or however old you are at the time and it was probably wrong um but i remember that i i, I think it's an f sharp for that reason um yeah. because you know we had this big argument and that those are the types of discussions that are had at berkeley college music people well it makes sense it's berkeley yeah. college music so that's yeah. what's, what was funny about going down there to visit you like i don't know i was there all the fucking time Especially when you're still in the uh, the dorms, and I mean, I was definitely hanging yeah. with a bunch of people who were like far beyond me musically. But like, I was so passionate about music that like having the arguments in there with uh, with Will or Jamie, and it was so fun. It was just a fun place to be an asshole, you know. But it didn't. It didn't matter. Well, no. the thing is, the, the thing is, is it didn't matter. Like you're smart. You're smart enough and opinionated enough that. It may, you know, if somebody could be um, like a, a better or whatever, you know, guitar player than you, and it doesn't really matter. Like, it, no. you're, you, I, it, the percept, you're perceptive enough where you can have those arguments and probably win them with a lot of people, regardless of how good they are, or how much music they've listened to. So that was sort of the other, you know, thing about hanging out there is if you had, and it, it, I don't know, if I, it sounds kind of like snobby to say intellect, but if you had enough wits about you to be able to argue these things with people, you could get into a six-hour conversation about something like this, you know, some of those people. Yeah, but nobody, not you, not Will, not Jamie, no one ever, like, tried, nobody talked down to me. Like, everything was fine. You know, it, it was a fun place to, to it, like, people, at least the people that uh, were your roommates or people that came around a lot, they, they were whether they were music or not, they were fans of music first. And like, we were yeah. able to have a fun time talking about music without having to be like, Oh, I don't know. That was an F sharp harmonic minor. And like, <laughs> this, you know, that kind of silly shit. It, it was, it was more about um, just like, I remember, I remember Will Rizad. We were uh, one day we were in Lowell and it was, he argued 
and almost successfully <laughs> that uh that one drummer was better than another drummer not because of his technical skill but because he could play air drums along <laughs> with one particular drummer over, <laughs> over another I, I, I remember i remember a conversation i had with him about dave grohl and just saying because and I still believe this to a certain extent that Dave Grohl is probably one of the most rocking drummers to come out of the last 30 years. And yep. he was like, so on board. that might've been what led ultimately led to that, you know, because we're, you know, just yeah. talking about, because at that point in your life, you're starting to realize that it's not all about ripping. And, you know, this comes back to dream theater, by the way, you know, it's not all about the things, you know, playing the fast and this music as an athletic competition thing that sometimes you just want to bob your head to something. Sometimes you just want to feel something. You know, that's why, you know, Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd is one of my favorite albums of all time. You know, it's um, uh, probably, you know, the reason that like surrounded off of Images and Words is probably my favorite song on the record at times, you know, because sometimes you just don't need yeah. something great ripping in your face. It's, you know. Yeah, there's just times where like, like you don't um, need to listen to something that's just kind of- is one of these, there are certain pieces of music that really bring me back to high school and surrounded is one of those. It's, I have in this um, category in my head, like along with Pink Maggot by the Deftones and a few other tracks mm. like that, where I can remember like really specifically like where I would often be while listening to these tracks. Mm -hmm. And, um, we, uh, when I used to live over on Fisher Street, um, which is, you know, kind of like kind of the middle of the ghetto, but like there was uh, outside my bedroom, there was a roof that I could go on and lie on for hours on end. And I, there were times when I would listen to Surrounded like two or three times in a row. And so like when a memory like that forms with tunes like that, it never really sort of leaves, you know, you always mm -hmm. kind of remember where you are with those types mm -hmm. of tracks, you know? Even more so than the other songs on the album. I don't know if you guys have any tunes that are like that on that on this album specifically. No, I specifically remember surrounded at one point. We were definitely sitting in your parents' driveway, but then I there's the but that's a lot of stuff. Like if I think of snow, we were doing that too. <laughs> uh, but no, a lot of times. But no, there's definitely. But no, like whenever I think of surrounded, whenever I th whenever I think of like that that album in general, I, I I go immediately back to high school. Like that's a big thing. Like whenever I yeah. think of really most a lot of dream theater albums like a lot of up to six degrees like that that was high school right so like especially the live at the live scenes right that was still still uh sophomore not yes. uh, jun oh. junior year junior year so yeah i still think of it to this day yeah a number of times i watched it yeah, yeah. i i, I, I remember the day that the live scenes dvd came out yeah, and i remember I going it. to my home going home with it to my, oh, my parents I was in high school and I remember sitting in like they had remember those gliding rocking chairs yeah, yeah. I remember sitting putting it in sitting in there and like obviously and I'm, I just I watched the entire thing just rocking back and forth and it was after school one day I wasn't like hired or anything like that but you know what I mean like it's just like I just that's just this, those distinct musical memories you have and those visuals the visuals on that DVD like that you know Mike that's <laughs> and Ash <laughs> so bad yeah <laughs> you can, so if i goes times. back and goes uh i come up with the came like could you just release a director's cut of that without any of it just just the live footage please please we don't we don't acting, need your there's acting 
too. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I, like there's that, that woman who like comes up and like looks at the screen like a like, friggin' mannequin, <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, God, I love that dude. It, it is so good. It is so good. I love how uh, we we have to get back to images soon, but I love in that scene. We should have just called this first episode just Dream Theater. Well, I love in the scenes DVD, like uh, where the uh, the hypnotist, who's voiced by James on the album, is voiced by this like diabolical man. Like he's like one, two. It's like very like it's it's just this. Like, if you start that DVD, you know he's the villain right away, you know, <laughs> that that character's evil. Well, and, uh, and as soon as John's guitars come in, the guy starts screaming. He's like, one, two, guitar starts in three, four. <laughs> you can tell he just has never been to a rock concert or, like, like it hasn't been in a decade, you know? Uh, mm. Yeah, we should get back to images, though. We are definitely drifting, <laughs> drifting. Um, do, do you want to start... From Homey Under and kind of work our way through the album, kind of talk about each song. Yeah, sure. I think that's a good way to kind of do it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I was watching um, a while back an interview with John Petrucci, and I've always been fascinated with the clean guitar sounds on this album. And so, you know, as so every once in a while I go on like one of these little rabbit holes where I'm like, oh, I wonder, like, let's see if I can really find out what this is. And the opening notes of this album are a really strange uh, mix of guitar sounds. So the, uh, some of the clean sounds on this album were m- made with those little Zoom players. Like, did you ever, you had guitar in high school, right, Mikey? What's that? You, had, you took guitar in high school, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember those little Zoom, those little Zoom boxes that we used to use? Yeah, yeah. One of the clean sounds was like, I don't know if it's the same unit, but that first clean sound is basically something that's like off of a like off of a oh, zoom yeah. like, like it's straight in unit and that's not the only thing that they did they recorded it to tape some you know several i'm not sure how many but several times and changed the tape speed um for each overdub so what it did was it created this natural sort of chorusing and flanging which is a, a modulation sound so where when you listen to the guitars, it sounds like more than one playing at once. You have a little bit of that, oh. you know, this sort of subtle effect where it sounds like there are numerous guitars playing. And the way that they did it for this album was so distinctive. And whenever I think of that track, Pull Me Under, that's what I think. Like, just the way that they come in with like such a distinct and cool, clean guitar sound. Um, is just like awesome. It's such a great opener for this record. I mean, it, it's their only kind of hit song, too. You know, <laughs> their biggest, wow. yeah, their biggest six. Like, I, I feel like the last couple of years they've had a pretty decent hit song on the last few records, at least. But "Pull Me Under" definitely was probably their biggest hit. For me, though, yeah. "Pull Me Under" is sort of that song where I'm like, I can Yay. skip. Yep, and then too. if they play it at a live gig or here and I go, oh fuck, yeah. okay, I'm gonna go take a piss. And it's not it's not a knock against the song, it's just you just hear it so many times you don't need to hear it again, you know what I mean? But you, you so, know the last yeah. time that we went to see the, the last time we went to see them in Boston, they were I remember we decided they started pulling me under. We decided to leave. And I think he was standing <laughs> like waiting in line to go to the bathroom watching on the monitor going, James is doing pretty well. He's just that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's well, that's where pull me under sits for us. 
but no but it's a really well, good like like when you listen to it with like fresh ears like it's it is it is it is a really good song it's, it's a heavy song like i i would love to use it to introduce people to dream theater but like for me personally like trying to hear it again no because if i need to hear it i can hear it in my head right now <laughs> yeah well it's kind of I, stairway I to heaven. To, when i listened to it today i it was actually really nice to hear all the way through it's been a while since I listened to it, and I was like, "Wow, this is such a good song!" And like, I, I like how the verses are just slightly different, and I love the chorus is so good. I love that uh, the Webster Sparrow yeah. falling bit. That's like one of my favorite James mm. moments. And um, uh, John's guitar parts right before the um, the chorus are just magical. There's some really really cool stuff in that song that like I think that because I heard it so much early. I tend to skip and it's, it was nice to hear it today for the first time in a while. Yeah. The way that they end it too, you know, the way that they end it and the fact that they do that live is so cool, you know? So weird. It's something that but I, I like, if I were in their position, I would, I would insist on, I'd be like, you know what? We have to stop it right there too, because I don't know what led them to that decision in the studio, but it's cool, and the fact that they replicate that live by stopping at that one weird little point. Couldn't even tell you what beat it's on, but they do it, and it works. Yep. You know? I wonder so if it had anything to do with with, with Mr. Tinker Train. Because that just weird. ends. Because that wow. song just cuts, right? Who? Mr. Tinker Mr. Train on, on No More Tears. Because that track just kicks and ends the same way. Oh, yeah. It's the first song on uh on oh, uh, and that's like one of my favorite tracks too on, on 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 that freaking album. But yeah, right. but this isn't we're not talking about Ozzy, but yeah, I wonder if that was part of it. But anyways, um, um, I have a weird thing that bothers me Sorry, about "Pull Me Under" live, is I feel like and it, it bothers me a big in a big way, is uh, one is that John does not replicate his his guitar tone on the record live. It's just a very um, bland sort of clean tone and when he, he when he starts playing the notes which is um you know it starts off it's not playing knee but um when he does the vibrato with his uh vibrato arm on his guitar the arm he, yeah he he overdoes it in a big way and it it, it sort of gets me like sort of like uneasy because like on the record it's very subtle and very very tasteful and it really works live it, he, he he moves the arm a lot and all the strings sort of go in a tune and it bothers me to listen to like i'm like oh this is such shit yeah. and it, and it's good it's good once yeah, these get into to the open to, to like the distorted parts it's fine but the clean part of like oh fuck jesus this sucks to listen to <laughs> that's why i'm glad i don't it is play because, music i don't get it i don't catch that it's because, <laughs> It's because the the album cut is like such a perfect clean sound, you know. I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah, how can you replicate that when it's coming out of like a coming out of a Zoom box? It's probably doubled. It's probably got an acoustic guitar sound in it too, you know. I mean, what are you gonna do, you know? But I, I agree. I agree. It's always kind of like a oh, this song is starting off on whatever. But it is it, when he starts to to move the vibrato arm, like the the low string and the, the fretted E, all got to go out of tune as well. And it's like. It, it just makes me feel uneasy and annoyed. Like, God, this is crap. And like, 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 um, sorry, actually, can you show me? You kinda, yeah, he, he kind of does a little bit of that. It's like, oh, fuck you, John, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And, um, 
but, but but it's but the excitement once, of playing live too. You know, I mean, when you're playing live, that type of stuff happens. Five percent. But this the thing is, I don't give a fuck. I can be annoyed if I want. Fuck him. Facts. <laughs> oh, that's great. I hope he watches yeah. this and he's like, well, next time I'm just going to make it. He just goes on full fucking, he does like a fucking solo, just jerks off during it, points at you in the crowd. I think I think he did the last time we saw them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, it, am I alone in that, uh, that watch the sparrow falling part? It's like one of my favorite James moments ever. No, 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 dude. There are entire compilations on YouTube showing James Labrie's progression throughout the years, like him doing it in 1992, him doing it in 1993, blows his voice out, him doing it in 95, you know, and um, that's sort of another thing. Let me just sort of, let me hit this really quick since we're on the topic of James Labrie and his vocalness. Um, there's that that narrative of him blowing his voice out. I don't think is quite as cut and dry as some people think it is. Because when you watch a lot of the early footage of them, like um, the live in uh, what is it live in you know Japan or any of that stuff, live in Tokyo, yeah, yeah the, the first live, yeah. So, right, he has these notes that are so obscene, night after night, and he keeps doing them, and he. When you when you're touring and you're playing six nights in a row and you do this, then you're setting yourself up for this injury. And so when something like that happens, and you know it took him a long time. I mean, I don't think I think like maybe we'd seen him then like 2004, 2005, and it was finally like wow, like James is starting to kind of come back a little bit, you know. Um, but that's you know that watch the sparrow falling that section is what people use to sort of track his vocal progress throughout the years. You see multiple videos of that, you know, people online watching that vocal part. I need to find that. That sounds extremely interesting. And for a singer like him, like his abilities, that should be a guy who sings every four or five nights, not every night. Yeah. Not doing yeah. not doing two complete or three sets in a day. Yeah, he's doing like three hour sets a night. Yeah, man. Close to well that's it. Three, three and a half, yeah. There are two musicians that I will always defend when some idiot starts going off on. One is Lars Ulrich. When everybody's when it, whenever somebody goes off on Lars Ulrich, I always say, I always say, "Fuck you, I hate you." And the other is James Labrie because I think that he's got one of the most difficult jobs in rock music. He's been going off and doing this stuff for like almost thirty years at this point, night after night. And this tour cycle is endless. People don't understand that vocals are such a physical job that like to even sound like a frog at his age is amazing you know i mean i can't really imagine it like crazy. it's a just i talk for like an hour sometimes and like customer calls and i'll come out of the calls and my throat's hurting and i'm like i need to drink lots of water like i don't understand how someone could like just do that for like three hours a night every single night i it just it just doesn't make any it, it, it is crazy right. When I when I do no, uh, job interviews, I don't. I mean, I when I do job interviews, I have to bring bring drinks into them because I will start to get hoarse. Yeah, it, job it's interview. crazy. Go ahead, John. There are certain freaks who can do it, like this the Sammy Hagar's of the world, and um, who else? Like Steven Tyler's of the world. Are we're just born with these superhuman vocal cords, but. 
um, you know, so they can do it. I mean, Sammy Hagar even still kind of sounds good to this day. You know, some of these guys are just, that's how they're built. For whatever reason, their vocal cords are like a brick house, you know? Um, so, but uh, it takes a very special person to, to even be able to do what James does on a nightly basis. And Steven Tyler, uh, now they, they do shows every four or five days now. They don't do them every yeah. day. And they right. haven't done it in 10 or 12 years because, I mean, he sounds great to this day. And that's that's why they have to do it. And most bands can't do that because you have to pay the crew every single day. So you better be playing every right. single day. Luckily, Aerosmith doesn't have that. That They're not the dream theater. You know? <laughs> they're, they're, right. They, they, right. They have, the they have more money. Yeah. You have so, to have the millions to be if, able to do that. If Dream Theater was, uh, if they made the money they probably deserve, they stay would be able to uh, give James a little bit of a break. I've noticed actually, you know, in the last few years, they have some tunes started down tuning a little bit for him, and that was a thing yeah. for a long time. They weren't doing that. They weren't doing that until recent years, like maybe three. Or, I don't know how how long ago, but. Yeah, think about that, man. That's decades of screaming these vocals out. It's unbelievable, man. Especially stuff off images. All that stuff's in yeah. E, you know, like, and yeah. he's way up there. Yep. Yeah, you guys want to talk about another day? Yep. Yes, another day. Um, I mean, that's another one that's like, that's another song that like, um, I, I really like have a very strong sense of, oh, this is high school me, but it's kind of like, I don't know if it really stands out to me. It's a great ballad, but like, you know, it's like the ballad on the album, you know, I'm not sure that there's like a ton to say about it really. Um, other than that, I don't know if you guys have any more to say about that one. I really like it as a song. I think the saxophone part is probably definitely my like, favorite part i don't know it, it just it resonates with me because i think that was probably the first time i ever really liked a song with a saxophone in it back then you know what i mean like i never really was into like jazz and all that stuff back back then so i think that part kind of sticks in my brain as that's why i like another day but like it is just again it, it, it's ballady it's it but it, it still kind of resonates with me in, at, at that point so but i can see why it, it wouldn't with somebody else and it's not only saxophone, saxophone. Right. it's an oh, alto yeah, sax it's a kenny it's a Kenny, Kenny G, G style alto yeah. saxophone. Yeah. That's, That's what I was going to say. God damn it. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but that that's the thing that's awesome about that is like it does add an element of diversity, you know, um, to the album that otherwise. And that guy is a ripper, man. What, what was his name? What was the, name of the guy who did that? Um, was it Jay Beckenstein. Jay, Jay Beckenstein. Jay Beckenstein. Yeah. yeah he, the, the dude from Spyro Gyro. Yeah. Monster player, man. There, there are outtakes on the uh, for um, Mike Portnoy's um, Images and Words documentary because you know he documented the entire thing on like a little Radio Shack VHS tape. That's of course you know, brutal to watch, but it's like so cool. It's so cool to see this stuff, though. You know, the, all these different things, and you see all these alternate takes, and each one of them is genius. You know, the guy is a monster player. Um. I feel like the, the first, the, the, um, I mean, I know the day is a fine song, but when you get to take the time, that song rips. <laughs> that song rips. It, it definitely does rip, but yes. for me, take the time is another, yes. is, is sort of, for me, 
the second pull meander. I don't know if it's just me because I listen to it. I used to do it fucking all the time. No, no pun. But like, it, sometimes I skip it. Um, I, I, don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I like it is one of those. It's another pull yeah, meander for me, either. and I really do love it. But it is a great. Dude, you know, it is a great. The way the way the song opens. See, that did a dump. Dump mm. like that bass part. It's so good. Dump, 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 dump. That to me is like, and it, you know, and just sort of my for my tastes, that it's the first like classic oh Dream Theater song on the album that I will listen to a lot. You know, there's something I think it's the second verse that like that chord progression. Like, oh yes, it's like sounds like it could have kind of been awake, and it's like oh man. And then there's one thing I couldn't even play it right now because I haven't played it in 20 years. But there's that thing during the instrumental section that I just listen to. It's almost like another Metropolis in a way because it's got that long, beautiful instrumental section with that doom, You know, oh yeah, I'm with definitely with Mikey on this one. That's one of my favorite tunes on the album. Unless Mike Portnoy singing it. Or James is going, come for uh, dude. Whenever they put that song live, you oh, can yeah. feel the waves coming. Come on, and it's like, oh. <laughs> <Every time. laughs> I love that and, song though. I, I I love how heavy it is. Like the dance, the dance, the Don't get me wrong. I I don't I don't I love the song, but it's just again I don't know. Maybe 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 personally I listened to it too much when I was younger. Maybe that was it. But like it is one of those songs where I'm like, all right, I can skip it because I know it like the back of my hand. I love, dude. I would never criticize somebody for thinking a Dream Theater song is too much. <laughs> never. I would never get great for that. Dude. I love the outro of the song, like the the, the, the the you know when you take the time. I love that bit so much. Just, I, I mean, that whole song is so good. I love every bit of it. I, I can't help it. I love it. And the lyrics are from everybody. So, yeah. well, minus the brie. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know what, like, I, who whose idea do you think that the first samples were? Just who do you think came uh, up with that? Kevin, dude, it's got to be Mike. Really? You you don't think that those opening things were my, a Mike Portnoy thing? I picture Mike Portnoy coming up with that, and then John Myung sitting there like going, "Oh my <laughs> God, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this?" <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> uh, well i guess when you put it that way i don't know i could be totally wrong that's sort of like what i picture you know when it comes to the hold and now wait a minute come on it's like uh, oh no you're probably right okay you're probably right that 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 I, that was definitely probably portnoy but i mean like i think overall lyrically i think kevin probably took the first stab i don't know but no definitely yeah yeah because I, I, I remember I back then, it. Mike was in like his overalls and shit too. So I attribute anything goofy about the <laughs> dinner right. to Mike Pornoy. <laughs> yep. Oh man, yeah. So that's a uh, that's my thoughts on take the time. Surrounded, I think. I, do you think we've talked enough about surrounded? I think we talked enough about surrounded. Like we're we're for the three of us. You know, you don't think we talked <laughs> like, enough about it? <laughs> Mike's like, like nope. I, I gotta keep going. Nope. The, and the reason why I said funny. It, okay, one thing. One thing I heard about this tune was that it was about some tennis player or something like that. Do you remember that rap? That was one of those yeah. things. Yeah, Kevin Moore wrote it. What could it possibly be? So 
I listened to it a yeah, bunch Kevin, of times trying to frame yeah. it in that context. No, um, Sean, I Can't think we're it. in a huge delay. There is a little bit of delay. Yeah. Um, no, uh, Kevin wrote about a, a, a black tennis player, and I don't know yeah. how he got there. <laughs> I'll Google it. No, it is. It, it, it was a very weird, like, um, thing. I, and, and, and I've only ever, like, kind of, I keep going back to it every couple of years, like, like, like when I hear about, like, what the story was about. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, it just doesn't uh, make any sense. Like, how, like, more, you listen to those lyrics a hundred times and it doesn't make any sense. The song was at one time dedicated to Arthur Ashe, a tennis player who died of AIDS. The general tone of the lyrics is, are, this person didn't even write this properly. Spiritual, though no literal meaning can be ascertained. Surrounded as an upbeat, progressive ballad with a focus on guitar and vocal melody. The song never becomes heavy, though it is at times fast. What? There's a whole Wikipedia dedicated to this shit? Yeah. It's been well, a long time. What I like about the song um, is, for, for, the, for a lot of the song, it's actually in a very reasonable vocal range. Um, and I like the timbre of James voice at that, in that range. Um, I like, I like that the beginning is, is those little synth bit and those open, those big, long sustained open uh, chords that, that uh, Kevin's playing and James vocal parts are outstanding. And then when it comes to the did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, it's so fucking good. It gets me every time. Yeah, I love oh, it. Oh my god! And dreams are shaking. That's not. It's so fucking and, good. The vocals. Go ahead, Sean. Oddly enough, too, that this is a song that's really criticized in the greater dream theater community, and I'm not sure why. Like maybe because it's so simple, maybe because they think the lyrics are trite or something like that, but. If you know my board form back in the day, I know that you were there, Fury. But like, <laughs> these are tunes that, that like uh, that's that's a tune specifically that people would always like talk about as being lame for some reason. And I really don't know why because it's one of their tunes on no. the record. No, it, it yeah, one hundred percent. It's definitely one of one one of I, I would if I would say it was definitely one of my top three off this record, top top two if that. It's it, it's it's one of my favorite songs. It's one of my favorite songs by them in general. Um, how about that second chorus? Uh, how's it go? Yeah, I think I'm doing the same thing on the content. Uh, heaven must be more than this. Angels waking with a kiss. Oh. oh, yeah. That is amazing. Yes. And John follows that with his guitar so beautifully. And that guitar solo with the, uh, with the dotted tape delay thing. Fury, how much yep. do you know about dotted tape delay echo? Do you know anything about that? Nothing. Explain. Or okay. give, me, give me like the okay. high level. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll give you, the, uh, uh, I'll give you the, the not goofy sort of uh, version of this. So there's a certain thing that you can do with your delay pedal. Uh, which is a uh, it's an echo. It makes your guitar sound multiple times. Dung, 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 dung. There's a certain way that you can set it that makes it sound like you're playing much faster and you are much better than you actually are. So I could take a sound. Uh, I could take a sound like this. And when I add a dotted tape and start playing along to that, 
Oh. It starts to make, it make, yes, it makes you sound like you're playing these things that are absolutely incredible. And that's that funny effect that he gets for that guitar solo. That's not that difficult. You could sit there and play those three notes back to back, but um, that's another thing that I think of with this tune a lot huh. as well. That I had no idea was a. So, so, so when he does that live, he's doing that same thing. He's just, huh? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, I, mean, I don't like, know if they play that, that that often live. So that's what part of this um, Wikipedia I'm looking at says. It's very rare they play it. They say it's a Kevin song, um, and then and then it says this on occasion. Alternative line versions have heavily quoted the song "Sugar Mice" by Marillion to the point where Labrie will sing lyrics from that really? song, and then as well as quoting as well as then um, Petrucci will play the guitar solo from Mother by Pink Floyd. And it said during the Chaos and Motion Tour, they wow, performed a 15-minute no version of it. Didn't we go to the Chaos and Motion Tour? Probably. Like, I, at this point, I we've know, been to so many Dream Theater concerts, I don't even know. I know we saw them play um, Surrounded, I think, on the when Mike and Mike unite oh thing. actually there's a live version an official live version on the chaos in motion dvd of a 15-minute version of surrounded yeah what a 15-minute version and we would have gone to that show too yeah we had That's to have crazy. it was during yeah, yeah but think about that time they weren't playing the, that stuff every night they changed those oh, yeah, all the time. True, yeah. Oh yeah, we may have missed it. That's true. Yeah. But it's yeah. it's available. It's official, so it's definitely we could watch, listen to it right. Well, not right now, but. Yeah. No, I'm definitely gonna, I'm yeah. definitely going to listen to that because oh, yeah. you know as as far as tunes on this album go, especially ones that people don't talk about enough, surrounded is definitely it to me. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, it is maybe my. It's two top two or three, like Sean said, for me as well. Um, yep. uh, Metropolis. That I think we talked about enough. <laughs> not that, not that I don't want to talk about Metropolis. Like, Probably. I think that's the, that, that that's the song we kind of opened this whole discussion uh, on. Well, let me add this. I, I will say, I first encountered you know Metropolis when I was maybe fourteen or fifteen years old. And then worked on it straight on guitar for the next two years. And when I finally got it to a point where, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not even going to necessarily say I have it down 100% to this day, really, because it's kind of like, oh, can, can you really say that? But when I finally got to a point where I could play the song front to back, it was a major, major accomplishment in my mind because I still consider it to be one of the most difficult songs to play on guitar period there's one particular there's one particular part towards the end of that instrumental section where he hits that hole and they do that for almost a minute and th that whole they go all the way up the fretboards all the way up the keyboards with that same thing and that is as a musician one of the things that i have to concentrate on the most when i'm playing it have you ever learned how to play that part mikey uh, no because i can't count that high it's ridiculously difficult and there are certain parts of that song that are like that there's one other part um to that song where they start kind of where they shred it it's early on where he's like they when they go through that whole thing and they do that for 30 seconds straight where that's like hmm. so that's that's another thing like as a musician it's almost like you could talk about metropolis for a year straight um, there's just so much in there, you know, uh, it, it doesn't even matter if you're a drummer or a guitar player or just 
maybe we have talked about enough tonight, but it's just like, I still consider it to be my benchmark for if somebody can play that on guitar, they are a monster guitar player, you know? I'd say when it comes to Metropolis, the interesting thing, like what I said about Pull Me Under, what I said about Take the Time, I've obviously heard Metropolis the same amount of times, if not more, but I never skip Metropolis. Metropolis, for me, it's, it's still that, that, that track that I can listen to over and over and over again. Um, so yeah, it definitely has that. It, 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 it is that like benchmark status. It, it's the quintessential dream. Theater song. It's the way it starts Correct? too. Yeah. It yep. starts just so yeah, with, with, sure, with so man. much The way that it starts is so, yes. And that, those, those chords that they play, that Kevin plays on keyboard, accompanied with those sort of jingle bell Christmassy things. It's one of those, there are a few songs that I've heard for like, and like was into it immediately. Like even like stuff like Queen or the Beatles or Pink Floyd, like it takes me a couple of times to listen to it and be like, oh, I really love this. Mm-hmm. That was one of those things that the first time I heard it, I was like, whoa, this is really like interesting to me. Um, yep. That's how I think of that song because you know when I was in uh, when I, when I first went to Berkeley for guitar sessions in '98 or '99, that was the tune that everybody was talking about, and I hadn't heard it, so I flipped it on. And I was like, "Whoa, this is immediately <clears throat> awesome!" And that's a that's a rarity for me when it comes to music, man. Yeah, I I think I remember hearing that song and um and just like the dig dig dent, dent, dig dig dent. Like the, the little, the little chugs, and then ba, 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 yeah. ba, ba, like I was like, "What is this?" You know, <clears throat> and at that point, like I didn't know um, what's that song by Rush off Rolled and Bones? Uh, uh, this song that sounds kind of a little bit like uh, Metropolis that Rush does, mm. and um, what, yeah. what's it's off Rolled and Bones? I think it's the first track. Do you know the song, Sean? Okay. No, I don't. I'm trying to figure out what you're... No. You know what, dude? I always think of that as being kind of like a Queensryche type thing. You know? I always think of that as sort of being like Dreamline? something that could be off of Operation Mindcrime or something like that. <laughs> yes, Sean. Dreamline. Dreamline. Yeah. Do, do you know that song? I don't think yeah. I do. I haven't listened. Like that... I, 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 I'm like more into like earlier rush and then older rush mid mid rush. I still haven't kind of, I haven't touched that catalog yet. It's like, you'll like something I'll, probably something I had in my forties. <laughs> well, you'll like dreamline because it, <laughs> the, the riff period, the, the riff is, I am really is a little bit so like, happy that we got to see rush. Oh dude. Me that's too. another like, band. That was like, I was like, Oh, thank that, you. If if I ever if I died not seeing Rush, I I would be so upset. Like in and like that was a and like that that album Vapor Trails was still such a good album, but they played such a good show. Like with all like the hits, like that 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 show as a whole was so good. That was like what two thousand yeah. And when Neil died, I was like, I mean, I don't know two thousand ten. I don't know it was the eight ten somewhere. It was the Vapor Trails tour. Yeah. No, yeah, and then when Neil died, yeah, four, wasn't it? Really, that early? Wow. Two thousand two. What? Yeah. yeah, Okay. So we were just out. We were either just in high school or we just graduated high school because you graduated. Yeah. Wow. No kidding. I didn't realize it was that long ago. Jesus, man, we are getting old. Fuck yeah. (laughs) But um, yes. uh, As as you say, you know, rush totally, man. But I always just think of. 
I always just think of like Operation Mindcrime when I hear that first thing. It's a very Queensryche thing. I think that John has even said that they were listening to a lot of Queensryche around that time. So when you smash those two types of bands together, like the Rush and the Yes type yeah. band, and Queensryche and Metallica, the heavier stuff together, that's mm-hmm. where you really start to see, oh, okay, that's where these guys sort of came from. And that's where they yeah, have yeah, yeah. that like kind of way you can kind of gateway to other people to get into that type of music. Because like if you show people that that song and they're like, oh, well, I kind of still do like this stuff. I never wanted to admit it. <laughs> yeah. What, what, one thing. Um, yeah. Totally. What, one thing if you, if you listen to that album is how crushing the guitar tone is and how crushing the drum tone is. Like Mike Portnoy's drums sound fucking amazing on the whole thing it's ridiculous and john's guitars are so amazing but then when you listen to like live at the marquee it it sounds like he's playing a terrible yes it's thin (laughs) and gross it sounds like he's playing a telecaster through a fucking baggie it's horrible I don't understand. That. Why does it sound like that? Why does it sound like it's single coils? It it may. I, I have know. no idea. It's awful, and he's playing as he's playing as Ibanez. I don't know what the hell's going on with it. I've listened but to that. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he's like tapped the coils on it, or he's playing a Telecaster or something like that. It sounds so grotesque. I don't know how that happened, especially like you're you you're right about the album man They're playing through like his mesa mark 2c pluses the rolling jazz chorus for some of the clean stuff you know i mean yes they do have the drums triggered but i agree with you i really like the drum sound on it i think it's quintessential you know it's of its time in a good way you know um yeah. those those snare that and kick drums that smack through anything you know um I think that 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 the drum sound, yes, some people don't like it, but I think it gets unjustly sort of criticized, you know, because it's up oh. its time. You have to understand things in their context, their historical context. Yeah, but I, I don't even worry about its time. I mean, I worry about what, how it sounds together. And those drums sound great with those guitars, sound great with, with Kevin's pads and Kevin's keys and John Myung's low end. The, everything that that... that album is like really beautifully produced it all really sounds great together you know have you have you guys uh, ever watched the uh the documentary that um mike portnoy made for it during the whole recording of it like he just it's just a camcorder it's wasn't it live in to- what, wait it's was it like a, watching because wasn't it live in tokyo like it was a vhs right i it might it does it show like the studio recording process I know there was a no, maybe it was during the tour because I had the VHS when I was a kid. When I was a kid, but yeah. you know what I mean. Um, I but no, maybe it is just released through whatever. I forget what it's oh, called. Then no, I don't think I have. Uh, you know, it's them in the studio, and you can watch. You know, as John Myung is laying these bass parts, and he's clamping them and messing up and getting upset. And, you know, and, uh, and Kevin Moore is like, you know, figuring out the, the different pads for it. And you can watch, there's one, my favorite scene in the whole thing is where um, uh, Mike Portnoy is laying down the tracks, the drum tracks are learning to live. And they kind of jam for a little while afterwards, long after it would have faded out. It's it's really like, for any Dream Theater fan, it's a major messy is the so no, recording of it in words. Yeah. Mike, Mike, have you seen it? No, I've not. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna definitely find that and watch that probably after this. Um, yeah, you should. All right, after so, Metropolis is under a glass. Under moon. a glass moon. 
Is it the well, bear tracks tapes, Sean? Yes. Yes, it is. Yep. So yeah, okay, I found it. Here, I'll send you. I'll I'll, I'll send you. The, well, Mike, Mike, if you just search for recording images and words, it's like the first hit. It's it's like an hour and a half long. All right, I'll check it out. You guys are gonna Thanks. love that. It's, oh, gonna... uh, th there's a lot of VHS distortion in it, and there's a lot of stuff in it that's like, wow, this is definitely consumer 1991 style. Yeah, of course. Um, what do you expect? Camera work, but it's beautiful. It's so perfect. Just watch this stuff happening. And Bear Tracks is one of the most beautiful studios yeah. in the. They had that Focusrite console. I mean. There are so many good albums, you know, including the Dream Theater albums that we love that were recorded there. That console is great. The drum room sounds so good. And it shows them in the apartments and stuff like that. So it's really like history stuff for uh, people who are a fan of this band. Definitely. I love I love that uh, that uh, documentary, I guess, if that's what you want to call it. Nice. I'm definitely going to add that to. Uh... Oh, actually, then this, then the, the same guy has a whole separated things like he has like john john myung recording kevin moore recording there's like a whole channel but anyways um gt blitz yes. okay cool. under a glass moon yeah under a glass moon yes sorry mikey <laughs> what do you mean so, what was me for <laughs> I, I think I, you, I think you tried to i think you tried to get into under a glass moon and we were like oh, yeah we yeah delay but under last one is such like a weird uh, has like an interesting intro. It's like, and then I don't know what that is. See, let me see if I can remember. You guys are gonna see me clam some major guitar thing right now. I don't remember how to play this. I'm gonna screw yeah. it up. Yeah, that is a great guitar line. Oh. Yeah, that drum thing. Yeah, so that, good. Talk about the, the one-two punch of Metropolis into Under a Glass. It's probably like one and of the more guitar... underrated, heavier Dream Theater songs. It is. That guitar solo, man. Oh my god, it is one of my favorite guitar solos of all time. And I think the people do often cite it as being like an absolute classic of John Petrucci's catalog. Just, I, I'm not even gonna try to embarrass myself and, and clam the whole thing right now. But man, what a good guitar solo in that song. Um, after those those uh, sliding octaves parts and it was a double bass drum pattern, um, that the that that heavy riff afterward, that then 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 then, like it's 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 all those like sharp um, chords. No, no, I mean, no, right before that, right before that riff. Uh, oh. Yeah, it's a yes. boss. Yeah, that's like, yeah. oh my god. Yeah, it's so Dude, cool. It's so... And it's like, who else, who else was doing that stuff around that time? No one. You try to think, like, who else was doing that stuff? You know, I mean, like, there were certain shredders. There was, like, Joe Satriani was putting out some really good stuff. Steve Vai, obviously, was putting out some really good stuff. But they were taking these things and putting them in this sort of, like, gentle, gianty, this doesn't sound good, but it's still really cool type of way, you know? Um, I just can't think of anybody well, else who is playing that. That you're totally right about that part, man. Well, what I like about it is, is like it, it is it is it, super violent, super dissonant, super just just. It sounds gross and beautiful at the same time. It's just when I hear it, I I, I get so pumped. Like I, I was listening on, on the way home from uh, picking up something at, at Sean's today, and I was just like, oh my god! I was just <sighs> it, so it had good. me just gripping the the, the steering wheel like. 
like real power, you know. That's that song just fucking rips for me. I love, I love every bit, and there is a note I would take out. And uh, dude, uh, the, the verse. I always think of the verse that. I always oh, think yes. of that. Learning, learning to live has another as a section like that too for its second verse where they take these things and they hop them over the bar line and then they make it kind of confusing where it's like, oh, I can kind of get that. Nope, still don't know it. Um, that's another thing that like, really is like, ah, I'm so good about this. Sorry. Wait for sleep. Oh, now that we're. Oh yes. Uh, I'll go a little bit, a little bit more with this one. I was gonna go a little bit more with that, uh, with under last moon. Cause go ahead. Like, I'm gonna go take it. I'm gonna go it. to the bathroom real quick. Go ahead. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. I, I got you, son. Um. So what does that for me is that chorus is is so awesome. I like how aggressive the instruments are, how fast they are, and how how like how beautiful the melodies are on top of it. I'm trying to think of like. Yeah, you're right. That's like that's such a weird progression, man. It's an odd like C sharp, and then they climb down via A to that F sharp. It's like really strange. So I I like how now now the Fury's gone. We're talking about C sharps and F sharps and all that stuff. (laughs) It's also took with that little bit. Yeah. Well, you know. You know what? Now now the Fury's gone. Let let me try to attempt a solo to this too. I'm gonna screw this up. All right, that's not all I'm gonna play of it, but yes, because um, I felt a clam coming on really badly there. But yeah, I mean, oh, that the Underclass was such a good tune, man. Yeah, you know, like I I think that you you brought up briefly for a quick second before we uh we got talking was that one two punch of Metropolis into Underglass Moon. It's just like, it's almost too much. Like, what the, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. It, they both have incredible intros too. That's the other thing. Like, they both hook you immediately. Like, a Metropolis immediately with the keyboard, Under Glass Moon immediately with that the guitars. It's like that. That's sort of the other thing about them. And not only that, but they're both kind of like weirdly aggressively beautiful songs. That's the other thing. Like. You know, Metropolis had that like that one on steroids type thing going on, and yep. Under a Glass Moon it's got that heavy, ridiculous verse. So that's the other thing is like like the metal elements really start showing up around this part of the album too. You know, because when you oh, look yeah. at earlier, okay, yeah, a little bit of metalish stuff in Pull Me Under. You know, another days uh, take the time. It's very proggy, surrounded. Metropolis and Under a Glass Moon is where things almost sometimes get a little bit thrashy. You know, oh, yeah. um, really, this is oh, yeah. the heavy part of the album. You know, and the thing is, um, I, I think at the time when I got into this, I, I was I was way into like, way into, like uh, uh, Master Puppets and and I was into Diabolos and Musica and like like Slayer Metallica stuff. So right. like even even that, that really heavy shit to me didn't sound heavy. It's, looking back now, I'm like, oh, yeah, that is fucking bonkers. Like it, it's it's very aggressive. Uh, you know what's very, weird, very... man? What's up? You know what's weird? Sorry, uh, sorry, delay. Um, I got into this sort of after I'd gotten into Meshuggah. So I was a little bit kind of like, all right, I've been exposed to some really heavy stuff, but I'd never seen it. 
in this or heard it in this context of really heavy, but still has these beautiful melodies and the singer is really, really good. And like, I don't know, it's just a totally different world. So it was like the smashing together of heaviness and brutality with these really strong hooks and a singer who can really, who can harmonize beautifully as well, you know, um, that's sort of how I kind of frame it in my mind. Uh, one of the things I, I, I was thinking about when I listened to this today was, uh, is I like that James did like a lot of the backing backing vocals. It wasn't Mike and John doing it. Yes, <laughs> it was... yes, yes. <laughs> so it was like, oh, I know, it, man. It, it's just perfect. It's vocally perfect. Yep, it really is. Yeah, I know. It, it, I forget. I don't know exactly what the first album they started singing on on the regular was, but I always think of scenes from my memories being like one album where Mike really started to sing a lot and it was like oh, I kind of missed the days of you know the end of learning to live where you know it's like big epic James Labrie all his vocals yes you know? yeah, well, you guys want to move on to uh wait for sleep now that's another song like if there's gonna be a song on this album that kind of like i also really conceived myself in high school like something like surrounded or pink maggot or any of those tunes it's definitely this one too where i just like think of like some people like when they're listening to hip-hop when they're lying in the sun or something like that this is like i used to listen to the song like lying in the sun it was really weird so like that's huh. kind of how i kind of think of this one too this is another song that puts me in a place and it's so short. Yeah, it's for me. It's probably it is one of those songs where, like, again, like like I was mentioning in the beginning of the of the episode, like about Kevin Moore and that type of stuff. I'll put on like if I'm just looking to hang out and just like baseline, it's like nothing too crazy. Like that's one of those. That's like one of my favorite songs. I'll add that to a playlist. It's just like an easy song just to kind of sit there and just like kind of like think about. You know what I mean? Like it's. I do have to say, though, I have to add this one little caveat that if there is going to be a song that I'm going to skip on this album, it might be this one. And not because it's a bad song or because it's a song that I don't enjoy, but also a lot of the motifs from this show up next in Learning to Live as well. So they do. Yeah, it might be a skip one for me. I don't know if you what you think about that. No, no. And of course, I just said I said that for Pull Me Under and Take the Time. So everyone can have their like, you know what I mean? Like, it's perfectly fine. Like Everyone can have a different skip on 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 any album really yes this song to me is what take the time is to you if i'm going to say something it's going fair to enough i'm still offended that sean skips take the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude we're gonna have, to have a take the time intervention with you buddy sit there and like like, like um what, what, what was that uh it's a, it's, a, it's a clockwork orange where he's sitting in the chair and like going nuts you listen to it over and over again yeah exactly um mike by the way is this beer getting worse as we drink it it's getting more like chemically i I, mine's good honestly Mm, getting more chemically to it but anyways um but when was the last time they even played that song live probably never (laughs) yeah and i I think think whenever i think maybe they have played it in some of the bootlegs that i've heard because i think yeah uh, i think there were a couple bootlegs that i've seen where kevin has played it but yeah probably not in 25 years well we heard him play it yeah of course but outside of that context outside of when they played it for images and words i doubt they played it honestly in in 30 years yeah you know um yeah my and yeah it looks like they played yeah 93 95 yeah whatever 
yeah, that makes sense. Um, when it's I think of, of this space song, though, vest sort of thing, like after Kevin left, yeah, they didn't really do that. They didn't really do space that vest hardly ever. You know, it kind of like lies in those categories of very Kevin Moore songs that you know you're not going to hear too often live. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think this was like, if I had to say, like, this would be the song that sort of stemmed because let's be honest, there's always a song on the later Dream Theater albums that kind of are are sort of in this vibe for James and James has been writing the lyrics for us. So I wonder if this was sort of the prototype. Yeah, even though James didn't write the lyrics for it, Kevin, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like disappear, vacant. They all have that similar slowish vibe and it's not a bad thing like i i still do like the song and like I, it's about a like, female too that's another thing you don't hear too often in dream theater lyrics there aren't so many female <laughs> references and anything that they do and like, uh <laughs> kind of one of those vibes i like that the song is in a, an odd time signature it doesn't sound like it's in an odd time signature like the song yeah, five like, eight right one two three four five eight one, two, three, four, five, eight. yeah yeah five eight yeah and and what I like is that it, it the song it, it it's sort of like even though money uh, by Pink Floyd is in an odd time signature it doesn't feel like it is because everything's like it, it's just it's that perfect and this is sort of like the same vibe for me I mean, even though it's way different but the the idea that it's not in four four or you know six eight or three four you know one of the more common time signatures like it, that it still works for me it just sounds like a nice piece of music it doesn't feel like doesn't feel like I'm listening to not only music. that, but like later on, later on the B section of that song, the end with the ashes and all that. Da, na, 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 it's really like very mature songwriting for a for a bunch of 24, 25 year olds. That's really good, like classical. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna say stuff like Beatles ask because that's really weird to try to frame it. That, but it's like it's good at like almost on that level where wow, this is like really good like mature songwriting for a bunch of guys when they're 20s when they're under shredders on top of it. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yep. And and that's sort of the another thing I like about it. It's it's restrained. It's just a piano piece, a little bit of vocal. It's very, very simple. And very good melodies. So that works for me. Yeah. Uh and now we move on to like the, the whole album, man. The final track. The final track. I feel like I take this track for granted a lot. Well it's sort of like the piece de resistance, you know, like it's oh. like this is it, it, it's not my favorite song, but every time I hear it, I'm glad I did. A hundred and ten percent. That's exactly like I won't skip it, but I never go to like if I'm going to go. I'm going to some dream theater. Never going to put on learning. I'm never going to think to just put on learning to live. You know what I mean? But when it comes on, or if it's played live, I'm like, holy shit! I forgot this song is so good. Yeah. Okay, uh, among the the numerous things that you could say about this song, when when I think of this tune, what really comes to mind is it's a it's a John Mayung lyrical contribution. And whenever there's a John Mayung lyrical contribution, like this tune or lifting oh, shadows of off the dream, <laughs> yes, it's going to be probably one of my favorite songs on the album because he has a way with poetry in in a way that John Petrucci and Mike Pornoy didn't quite have. Like they were good. Like John Petrucci's lyrics were very spiritually oriented and, and at times Mike, Mike Portnoy's were very personal to him. But John Myung's lyrics were very, they're, they're just like, there was a certain poetry to them that a lot of the other guys just didn't quite, it was a different vibe. And that's mm -hmm. sort of, it's always distinctive to me. No, I agree. I and, and, feel like, go ahead, Sean, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. I feel like lyrically, um, it, it's generally been sort of like Dream Theater's like 
their Achilles heel for the most part. Like, like I like the lyrics to a certain point, but like, like I can't tell you what any of the songs fucking mean almost ever, you know? No. Um, they're all they're all essentially meaningless dude kind of like okay like metropolis what is that about it's like it's kind of all loose tied into a city but it's not you know uh what else do we have on here surrounded apparently by a tennis player take the time what uh pull me under eh, okay it's a little bit about something learning to live at least it's got it's got spots beard style this sounds really good here type lyrics where it's like, yeah. that is exactly what I wanted to hear at this particular moment, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and I don't mean to even shit on the lyrics because in general, I like them for what they are, but like, you're not going to like, you're not going to have a fucking dissertation on what any of those fucking lyrics mean. And I do think John Mayung's lyrics sort of tie together a little more firmly than a lot of the words where i feel like they're written line by line rather than in stanzas i feel like, like yep. that line works that line works instead of that yep. stanza works you know his lyrics are almost always going to be like among my favorites on an album even if their lyrics are off often nonsensical like this song is my favorite song lyrically on this album and um lifting shadows is my favorite song lyrically on awake so you know it's just kind of what i think about Probably not like first or second, but it always occurs to me right here. These tunes. Lifting Shadows. I'm going to plug myself. I'll be back on one second. Yeah. Lifting Shadows. Go grab my charger. Yep. Yeah. Lifting Shadows is on Awake. It's it's going to sound weird. It is one of those songs where when I, when I listen to Awake, sometimes I'll skip it, but I love it so much. Like, I love it. No, no, no. I love it. I, I absolutely adore the song. But it's Sean. like again, it's like I and, and, and sometimes when I listen to Awake, I want to it's because I want to listen to Heavy Dream Theater. You know what I mean? That's fair. I, so, I, I generally like to listen to Six O'clock, Lie. Um, and if I'm gonna stated. listen to if I'm gonna listen to if I want to listen to Cotton the Web, I want to listen to Cotton a New Millennium instead. Yeah, I, I skip. <laughs> I always skip Cotton the Web. Yeah, it 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 Cotton the Web as a, as a whole. And this is, I guess, a teaser for if we do an awake episode. Is sort of a ah, it's like a for me. I think of it like as like a I don't know a a, a cheap song that they did. I don't know. Does well, that make sense? But I, you know, it's not my favorite, but I like James in a song a lot. I oh no, I do too. In the, in the, in but the, that's why I still like a song like like whenever like that's why I prefer like Cotton a New Millennium because I still like yeah, a yeah. lot of the aspects of the song, but I just don't like the whole song as a whole. But yeah. I can't believe you skip. I don't fucking... skip it. I just, I, to be honest, I, I don't listen to full albums really anymore at all. Like I haven't yeah, listened to a full, listen to full. Like you, unless you it's a new album. The time no. is majorly upsetting to me. Very upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, Sean, he just says that he sometimes skips. What song is that, Sean? I sometimes skip Lifting Shadows. No, but listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. <laughs> <laughs> I those words I can't like it's like like purple sky baby spider like it just doesn't make sense to me. What are you no, talking about? How could you ever... If I want to listen to like a heavier Dream Theater album, I may skip. Hey Bruce, I may skip Lifting Shadows. And yeah. maybe yeah, that's probably it, right? What else is on that? Yeah. When. You, but um, Sean, yeah, okay. Sean, you do know that you, Sean, you do know that "Lifting Shadows" is the only Dream Theater song that 
Tom Rogers has ever covered. Well, that's your problem. Badly, by the way. Badly, <laughs> hey, by the way. We I, did a good I, job. I, I remember trying to put I just remember trying to put those like final, it's the final chorus of that song, like trying to put those harmonies together. And I'm like trying yeah. to sing these. They're not high James Libri notes, by the way, but I'm trying to sing them. And I'm like, oh, it is so not in my vocal range, man. He's a very difficult vocalist to emulate. By the way, can at one point when this whole pandemic's over, does do one of you want to come over and actually um, figure out how to fucking edit that video together? Because my first thing, Mike was like, the lyrics, the, the, the music's not in sync with what you edited. So like somebody needs to come over and fucking make sure that I'm editing in like the person writing the same fucking guitar part. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the thing we did like five years ago. The, the Tom you Rogers know what? video. I, that doesn't even bother me because I remember that during that video shoot, I was purposely trying to play chords that were not in the song because that's always <laughs> sort of the thing that I do for stuff like that. Yep. Oh, so can I, I just finish it then? Yes. Can I have artistic control and just make it how yes. I want? Because I still have you a have folder of all the of Tom Rogers Rogers here, and we are giving you the go ahead to do it. I'm sure Josh will say the same thing. Nice. Josh is right behind actually, me. Josh is right behind you. I see him. He can't hear this though. <laughs> oh, that's, that makes sense. Headphones. I figured that. Um, so we're at like an hour 28. I, I, I was thinking, depending how long it would. Hi, Josh. And now he's hiding behind you. Josh. <laughs> I like how I'm moving my head. Like, like I'll be able to see around Mikey's head if I do this. <laughs> oh, you know what I did earlier? Uh, I so so we were doing a beer review earlier, and the bottom of the beer said dial a number, and I was like, let me dial a number, and I had both headphones in, right? And I go, and I dial the number, and I put my iPhone on speakerphone, and I went like this. <laughs> I took my headphone out, and I was like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. But anyways, what I was going to say was, if we weren't already at an hour thirty, I was thinking like maybe we just like lump in a change of seasons into this, but I think that that's that would just go over oh. into a whole new fucking thing because I think a change of seasons, I think for a change for... of seasons we could talk about all the covers too and how they did the covers on that whole, on that EP itself. That might be for, I think that we should probably do another session for this also. So I can get my latency stuff figured out and just like be able to actually have more of a conversational thing, you know, um, just to be able to really talk about these a little bit more in depth, you know, as well, because this, uh, you know, it is a little bit tough with that. Ah, I'm trying to get my point across, trying to get, jump into the right part where it's like not too much delay and all that sort of thing. So, I think that saving that for another, you know, if we do a session like this on Awake, on Change of Seasons, yeah. on, I mean, for, geez, scenes from a memory, man. We could just do like a whole like me? dream theater episode. We could go for three hours about that and go to, right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I totally. think, I think that, I think it's, it's shocking that it's already been an hour and a half. I know. Like and I and I'm shocked we actually got through all the songs. Like at one point we're in midway through. I'm like, this is gonna be a four hour podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah I would Laura, it was twenty so minutes. I, me, man. Are you home or are you in the in the shop? Shop. Okay, maybe that's partially that's why. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That Wi-Fi ain't great. Because it's because it's the shop Wi-Fi, right? Not not yours, obviously. It's on repeater and stuff like that. That's yeah. I don't think. 
repeaters are all that great for stuff like this. They're 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 fine for certain things, but yeah, for stuff like this. But no, other than like like your quality is fine. You sound fine. It it is the delay that's a little weird, but other than that, yeah, you, quality wise, you look fine. Is there anything with the software that you can do? Like, is there anything that you can? I don't know. How do you mitigate that? I can edit it, but like for me to go through an hour and a half thing to edit every time is like that would just look weird. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's no, it's not and it's not, it's fine. Yeah, it's it, not it, dude, it's fucking COVID. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, honestly, honestly, the, the, the whole thing, even though like, uh, I think Sean stepped on each other a few times, um, in general, like, uh, we both got our points across. I don't feel like, yeah, even no, though it, it wasn't as conversational perfect. as I'd like. Um, it, it's all good stuff. I mean, yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, I'm not mad like, at it. If this totally. was not yeah, COVID, I mean, we would be in person, it would be fine, but blame fucking COVID. <laughs> then it would probably go off into some other sort of crazy direction because oh, then, well, if we don't have anything standing in the way of yakking for 90 minutes straight. It, you know, it could be because you, you know exactly what it would turn into. It would, it would, it would somehow, it would somehow careen into snow and Mike would just go <laughs> and just me and you like just and Kevin Gilbert. Then we start talking about shaming of the true and toy matinee. And then, oh yeah, it's and at some point we would reach something. I don't know. We'd start talking about I don't know somebody, and then Mike would just be like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, one thing I, I love about your podcast is yeah. that Mikey is not—he's so comfortable with dead air, and it just makes me so happy whenever <laughs> I watch you guys. This stuff, how uh, you'll make a joke, and Michael just stare at you, just happy as can be. I love that. That makes me so happy. <laughs> well, that—that's the thing. Is is gotta keep our, it real. Our, our conversations. Like we got used to that, and like, where if someone says something ridiculous, you just stare at them like, "That's right." It's and the best part is nobody on, probably nobody else on the internet, even knows what we're fucking doing. They're just like, "Well, they're they're no, they're, no, they're, no, they're if awkward. you if you didn't know any of us, it would be really off putting and crazy. But since I know you guys, I'm I watch it, and it's just like it's like having a mug of hot cocoa with a marshmallow. I'm like, yes, <laughs> it's just but fun. I, I do think we need to have a shaming of the true episode oh, too. Yeah, for like, sure. Oh, yeah. I don't know if we have to do like every Dream Theater album. I think we just we can just pick to do this, right? Like, yeah. But I, think, every... I think we should oh. do at least at least up to scenes, right? No, I agree. But does it have to be in order? No, no. not that I want to rush. But I'm like, I'm like I want to talk about shaming. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, Shaming is one of those albums, super quick aside, that it is impossible to find digitally, man. I, it was a couple of weeks ago where I was nope. like, I really want to see Shaming. Yeah, it's impossible. Because it's one of my favorite albums of all time. Can't find it anywhere, man. Spotify, Amazon, Apple, nowhere. No one has it. The only, the only Kevin Gilbert out on digital right now is the uh, Thud album and oh. Toy, Toy Matinee. Yep. Um, why, do you need yep. it? Oh no, I have it. But oh, sometimes okay. you just want to like pick it up on your iTunes and let it play, you know? It's like one of those. Things. Right. No, 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 same here cuz like I have it on Amazon Music and then like sometimes yeah, sometimes if I miss on Spotify, I just I just want it on Spotify to just go to because as as great as Amazon Music is, for some reason it just sucks. Even yeah. going to an Amazon Echo fucking device, like Spotify just works. Like I like Neil Morse, um he just started releasing he released his last album on Spotify. And you release like a greatest hits. Have you looked at his waterfall app? I have not. No, is it really brutal? It's, it's everything that he that he has, but it's oh. yeah, it's it, it's brutal because it's like 
he wants you to pay like five, nine, 10 bucks, 15 bucks a month for it's a everything. Month? It's his stuff though. I would pay... Oh, it's here? his stuff. No, no, it's his stuff. All of Spock's. All a lot of B-side stuff. All the Ooh, cover to cover stuff. All Spock's all his Spock's? I think all Spock's. Oh, interesting. But do you really care? No, but I, I used to think it's funny. Post yeah. Neil Moore Spock's. Yeah. Mm. But, I um, it's, it's, but you can't do a, there's, there's no Chromecast. True. There's no airplay to it. It's this mm. giant, like just library that you can't put anywhere. But then he started putting like, the singles. App? Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's its own iOS and Android app. And then huh. he started putting like his like singles on there. And then now he has a mixtape on Spotify and his new album on Spotify. So I'm wondering if he's testing the waters, but I was telling Mike, I started doing some like I was I got really deep into like the technical side of it. And like you could easily, Neil, if you're watching, you're not watching, but you should probably figure out you can easily download every fucking song if you have the right tools Ooh. on your computer and just fuck him hard. Now are we talking delight day for night, five and snow? Mm -hmm. well. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and all the b-sides like the official remember the official bootleg live at near fest um all of it all of it well the thing is i wonder uh i wonder is how is he able to afford all the upkeep on the app when sean fury is the only one paying for it <laughs> i stopped paying for it i didn't pay for it for a month <laughs> <laughs> well, it's but don't forget the people that actually Spock showed up to, remember the people that showed up to his concert what's that but 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 anyways how about this all right thank you everybody for watching about dream theater <laughs> um this has been one of the funnest episodes of of the corner pub we've done in a while it's, it, we haven't had a chance to do a lot of music stuff and it's been fucking awesome to finally after five years of doing this podcast to have the person who created all of the music <laughs> finally on. And and I think the next episode, we should probably be like, so what was your mindset in creating it? Like we want to get behind. <laughs> right? that I don't even would, want to do that would... because it's going to be so grim. It's just going to be so grim and uninteresting. You're like, Oh, we got to hire somebody else to do that well, stuff and pay him for real because this is so good. You'll be like, well, I didn't think you guys want to go anywhere. So I wanted to just write the most sad, depressing songs possible. And we haven't gone anywhere. So it works very well. Um, <laughs> So, Mike, you can close us out. Yeah, I don't know how the fuck we follow up that. It's <laughs> grim and miserable. And... <laughs> but anyways, tune into the next episode of The Corner Pub, where we talk about, it could be not this, it could be something else, because The Corner Pub, as Mike designed it to be, is just us shooting the shit. So one day we'll get a Kevin Gilbert episode, one day we'll get an Awake episode, one day we'll get to the... Uh, one day we'll get to scenes from memory, and uh, and one day I'm gonna do a pagan episode. We're just gonna get all drunk. I'm gonna shoot myself <laughs> in the skull with with a high caliber round. I, I can say I can say this for sure though. If anyone thinks that Sean, Sean, and I weren't at the pub at when we were 22 years old shooting the shit about this stuff, you're fucking wrong because we were. <laughs> this whole conversation probably already happened. Yeah, this is the same as it's been since 2003. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Anyways, I'm Sean. I'm Mike. He's I'm Sean as well. 
and and this, this is, is nerd We should have had Roar but, play out the freaking tune on the guitar. I don't remember it. I'm sorry. I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll learn it for next time. I promise I'll learn okay. it for next time. Awesome.